Hello and welcome to Contra Mundum. I am your host, Pastor Andrew Isker, and with me is my co-host, CJ Engel. Hello, CJ. How are you? How was your week? What's new? Good. Um, I've been engaged in a... I, I've been dragged through the mud on Twitter over that... Uh, really? Over, <laughs> over the uh, Southern Reparations post. Uh, Three million views um, and just ratioed like I've never seen before. Right. So. Well... Uh, now the show is going to be sponsored by Elon. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> you're going to get your Elon bucks. I am. I, yeah, it was worth it. It was worth it. I got destroyed by very online Marxists, and I'm going to get a five thousand dollar payout. So, I'm yeah, gonna... it's probably not quite that high. I would imagine. Well, you know. I'm... <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that's great. Um, It'll be ten dollars. Yeah, I mean, well, was there anything else that happened this week that uh, you know that was? you know, in the news online, people talking about it, Yeah. I mean, obviously the fun thing was the new song, the rural revolt song. And, um, it got all the right people frustrated and all the, um, good people riled up. And so I enjoyed it. It's a good song, you know, regardless yeah. is, is, I, I loved it. I loved what happened to do. It. I love seeing the responses to it. Yeah. Before we went on air, CJ said, I, I really want to just sing it right now during while we record. So maybe I don't, I, I don't have a beard. I, <laughs> Get to it. I can't. No, I'm not no. from the South. I love no. the South, but I cannot emulate the South. No, not, neither can I. Uh, neither can I. OK, well, yeah. So the song. Yeah, that it, you're, you're absolutely right. It it upset. I mean, I, there were there were some you know, of our guys that were like, I don't know about this, but for the most part, um, the people that's, that, you know, heard it are like, this is really good. This is, and this is, um, he, he's saying all the stuff that I believe. Yeah. Right. That's, that's what it resonated with people for that, for that reason. There are a couple frustrating things. Like, I mean, everybody knows that a lot of people are frustrated and it's mm -hmm. the people that the regime has spent decades basically just trying to sweep under the rug but yeah. then there's like these con ink types like um carrie lake or someone who they're jumping on board with the song and i don't, I don't buy their um I, like they probably like in a like tangential sense are you know they they think it's legitimate and authentic and stuff but they don't really understand that world no. at all because they operate within the milieu of con ink yeah. And so, like, even the pe even the people within the conservative movement that are for it and stuff, they don't really get it, I don't think. They don't really yeah. understand that this is a repudiation of everything that they have, of the, that Con Inc. has stood for since Reagan. Like yeah, this, uh, this, yeah. this is an anti-globalism. This is an anti-international markets. This is, this is like, yeah. anti-multiculturalism. This is anti-all of those things. This is, this is like a Buchananite reaction. Right. Yeah. This, yeah. this, this is not, this is, Woo! this is the reason that Trump became a thing because of the frustrated flyover America, yes. forgotten Americans. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And I, yeah, I saw, I saw your uh, quote tweet of, you know, speaking of Con Inc, uh, Matt Walsh, uh, Matt Walsh, who uh, claimed that the song is not political. Mm -hmm. He's like, that's, that's not a political song. I don't know, I don't know where anybody gets that idea. And, um, you know, if you haven't listened to it, you know, pause the episode and, you know, go on YouTube or Spotify or, or, you know, Apple music, wherever you get, listen to your music. Um, I don't, I don't listen to music, but, uh, wherever you do, uh, listen to the song right now. And, uh, uh, but yeah, it, it, and then ask yourself, think of what Matt Walsh just, you know, said, it's not a political song at all. And it's like, it's it's the most political song I've heard in years. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, what are you talking about? It's insane. But it goes to show you just how um, out of touch uh, today is out of touch Thursday. How out of touch uh, Matt Walsh is. Like mm -hmm. he doesn't he doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. He does not get. And he didn't he didn't get 2016 either. I mean, I remember 2015, 2016. This guy was uh, uh, vehemently never Trump. Mm -hmm. Hated Trump, hated Trump, hated Trump, and all all of the conning people, all of the you know National Review types. And there was an article in National Review about how horrible the the uh, the song was. And how oh it, yeah, we should uh, yeah. Let me pull that up. Yeah, um, you should read some of this. It, it looks like it, the author looks like he's about twelve years old. Um, when I saw a picture of him online, like they, that's all the people they have for writing for National Review now are like twenty three year old you know uh, grads of Georgetown or something. 
Yeah, but, uh, this thing and this thing was hilarious because it ended in I mean everyone's always already pointed this out. It ended in a um lyric uh where is it? It's a land that's made for you and me, right? It's a lyric from a communist from a communist it, song. I know. Yeah, like a, a, a pro <laughs> it, it, because that's what immigration was. That's what it was. It was the attempt to subvert the American identity using immigration. Yeah. Um, and so they wrote these songs about this land is your land and my land, and it doesn't belong to any specific people. It belongs to anybody. Uh, yeah. And that's that was literally the original communist uh, effort yeah. to subvert American culture. And this Woody guy Guthrie is a commie. He was a commie. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. And he, this guy, what's his name? Mark Wright. Mark Antonio Wright. Yeah. It's it's um it's hilarious. It's perfect. It's it's what yeah. it is. It's perfect. It's, it's exactly, exactly what National Review on, believes. Yeah. Very on brand. Yeah. So it's very good for them to publish that, you know, like we need, it's not even a mask off moment because there hasn't been a mask being worn, you know, for years. Yeah. They've but always we need been to, what they were. Yeah. We, we always need to reiterate just the extent to which national review is part of the enemy class. Yeah. 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 When we talk about friend enemy distinction um, and, and just the, the instincts that, that people normally have, I mean, that's, that's, you know, when we talk about, friend enemy distinction or no enemies to the right and things like that. Cause that was an issue, you know, Neil Shenvey, Neil Shenvey, uh, uh, you know, fan of the show, Neil Shenvey, uh, wrote an article against Charles Haywood, a real friend of the show and, um, about no enemies to the right. And, and, and he, he, and in the article, I mean, it wasn't like the worst thing anybody's ever written, but it still demonstrated he fails to grasp what it is and, and what it means. But I mean, it's just the basic, Right, the the very basic instinct that people have, um, that you have friends and you have enemies. You, this person is against me. This person's on my side. And I mean, for me, I, I think I've mentioned this on the show before. You know, um, twenty fifteen was a pretty pivotal year for my intellectual development, my my development of of my politics that I hold, because I was up until that point, I was, you know, kind of like a right wing libertarian. I guess you could maybe say, you know, with, with sympathies to the right, but I, I had this very libertarian framework from the Ron Paul years. And then uh, the day of Super Tuesday, I was living in Missouri at the time. So we, we had a primary that day. I, I was just not going to vote in the primary at all. Um, and I read in National Review, uh, Kevin Williamson writing, the white working class deserves to die. That was the title of his article and how uh, the white working class is supporting Donald Trump because he he wants to bring back jobs and things like this and and undo all the things that that people that National Review love. And uh, he says these people just need to die. We don't need them. You know that was the the gist of his article. And it's like, well, I came from a small rural town, and all the people I grew up with are white working class people. And this guy is saying my people need to die. That's what he's saying. And, it, and like, it was just this like light bulb moment. I didn't, I didn't, I had never read Carl Schmidt to that point. I had never, um, I had never heard the phrase friend enemy distinction in my life, but I knew it. I knew it deep in my bones. This, these people are my enemy. These are my enemy and Trump is a friend. And and so I, I told my wife, all right, we're going to vote today. And uh, so he got two extra votes that he, uh, because of Kevin Williamson, um, <laughs> So anyway, uh, that that is and 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 this song is and the reaction to it largely has the same vibe as that Kevin Williamson article, where mm -hmm. it just is this very clear line, right, of demarcation between friend and enemy, and the people freaking out about it think it's so horrible and, and say we should have communist songs instead, uh, are our enemies, you know, plain and simple. People people get this and they they again instinct instinctually know it, uh, but. Uh, that that's that's what stood out to me for sure. I mean, and, and it's um, it's a good song. I I, I like it. It's catchy, <laughs> and uh, he's a good singer and every, everything everything you know uh, like that. But it 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 strikes a chord it in you that all all these things that everybody sees, right? Everybody yeah. everybody sees this, and and even whether you're a coal miner working in a mine for overtime, um, or just you know a regular guy you know that lives in a suburb like the whole spectrum of the country seeing how their country is being destroyed mm -hmm. and that they, they work extremely hard and their dollar doesn't go very far because they've destroyed the dollar. They, that 
um, that people on welfare are everywhere, you know, eating fudge rounds, things, things like that. And the song is like, yes, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's the same kind of thing where, where Donald Trump gave his first speech and he's like, Mexico is bringing rapists and murderers and drug dealers. Right. Um, and everyone, like everybody I knew their entire lives knew that's what immigration was. And here's a guy who just says it out loud, this thing you're not allowed to say. And they're like, that's our guy. That's our guy right there. Um, and, and so it's the same kind of thing. This is this is stuff that everybody knows, everybody sees. And he says it in, in this song. And it's like, whoa. And I mean, yeah, yeah there's the subtle reference to uh, Epstein, too. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's 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 great. It's, mm-hmm. it's a phenomenal song. And and so, yeah, it, it, it has been uh, it's been a fun week. And and um, did you see CJ the uh, video of him? at um the first he, he played at a, like a farmer's market or something uh his first concert after going you know mega viral uh, right see that video of him yeah i, I did you know reading the bible you mean yeah i read psalm 37 a portion yeah. of psalm 37 and it was it was phenomenal there's there a crowd of uh, several hundred people it, it looked like and he's reading psalm 37 and, and psalm 37 is an imprecatory psalm and he reads it, and I mean, it talks about, you know, God destroying the wicked, things like that. And as he's reading it, the crowd, like, erupts in cheers as he's, as he's reading it. Like, I mean, cheers la- that, are, that, that sound like um, someone just scored a touchdown at the end to, to win a football game. I mean, that's, that's the, like the, the, what it sounded like. I mean, these cheers, like, yeah! Um, and, and it's like, okay, maybe, maybe you know, it was a bunch of uh, you know southern people that had had uh, you know a few uh, a few drinks or something, but uh, uh, but nevertheless, it's like these people are are wound up. They're excited, like and he he just read the Bible. He read the, this stuff about what God does to the wicked, and here are these people that see you know horrible wicked people doing evil things in our country. And that's what the song's about. And here you know Anthony Oliver reads the Bible, reads that part of the Bible to them, and they go nuts. Right. And it's like, wow. You know, and then I, I, I thought about that, contrasting it to um, modern evangelical churches that are available to those people mm-hmm. where, where they live. And it's like, what pastor have they ever heard a pastor read Psalm 37 or preach on Psalm 37? Right. And, and read it and apply it in the way that that Anthony Oliver obviously is applying it. No, never. Never. They wouldn't dare. They wouldn't dare talk that way because, mm-hmm. you know, God is, is nice and sweet and has a wonderful plan for your life and, and things like that. That's the that's the gospel that they preach. And um, well, it's it, also it's also like their God is very um, theoretical. Right. So like in mm-hmm. theory, God is sovereign and God is ruling the nations like in theory, like up yeah. there somewhere. It's yeah. not real. It's not in our community. It's not permeating through the culture war or yeah. you know political battles or anything like that it's it's all out there somewhere yeah when it comes but, to these things like you said it's it's almost like a deistic god that yeah. they have like it's not a god who's personally in, engaged in in any of the things going on or, or cares about it mm-hmm. i mean I, that, that's the I, I wrote uh you know the time for shilling is our own stuff is at, at the end of the show but i i wrote uh, an article for gab news that should be out by the time you listen to this and it um, it's it's about this song and it's about I mean, my my focus was on there were a lot of evangelical pastors who like didn't like the song. Um, I mean, some of them, it was silly where it's like he uses bad words, you know, he uses swear. You probably saw the, the one that this guy, you know, posted where he he wrote all the swear words that that Anthony said, but he like use dollar signs instead mm. of uh, saying them. <laughs> it's like, Oh, thank you for sparing my, my, my uh, poor, sweet little mind, not seeing the actual word written out. Uh, but it, it it's, it, it's such a, um, it well, was so petty, you know, it's, it's um, funny because like, I, I have, I actually have, um, I'm more like, uh, what's like, uh, conventionally conservative when it comes to like words. Like I, I, yeah. I take it seriously, Yeah, but, these people they they've lived so long in like um the empire and like the capital of the empire that they've become so like unable to recognize raw frustration yeah raw sociological and political frustration it means nothing to them those things don't matter what matters is like 
their bourgeois morals. What matters yeah. is like the comforts, like those things that yeah. offend them on the on the like on the um on the margins. That's what really that those are that's real. And yeah, that's, that's the real. same that's the same spirit that opposed Trump at the beginning because he wasn't saying nice things on Twitter. It's the same yeah. thing. You don't know they don't know what time it is. They don't yeah. recognize yeah. That our world is in a huge crisis and that America is failing, you know, a good majority of its heritage and legacy stock. And yeah. that and that has to bubble up somehow. And so these are the people that lecture us about, you know, uh, you know, not spending time with with the wicked or whatever. And then the second someone does something wrong that's against their middle class values and their middle class conventions, they just panic. They don't know how to handle yeah. it. They don't know how to take him. He's literally outside yeah. of American mainstream pop culture, and they can't take yeah. it. Yeah, well, it's it's the, the, the hilarious thing about it, too. Like, what if it was Lecrae? What if it was Lecrae yeah. adding yeah. stuff into his song? Yeah, and he says the S word, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, come on. And 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 I look at it, too. It's like it, it shows you how little contact these people have with regular right. people. Right. Regular people use language like that. They use bad words. Mm -hmm. And and I, I my my immediate reaction is, I mean, how many of how many of these kind of guys who who hear the Oliver Anthony song and love it and it, it deeply resonates with them? Um, do they ever have contact with? Do they ever talk to? Do they ever uh, minister to in any any capacity? Uh, and it, and it's obvious there's none because like they would say, I mean, I, this happens to me all the time where, where I live, where I'll, I'll talk to people in, in my town, you know, reg, regular people. And, you know, they know I'm a pastor and they use their normal language and way of speaking that, that, that they do. And, you know, a cuss word will slip out now and again. And they're like, oh, sorry, sorry. Cause they, they expect me to be judging them over their uh, non-bourgeois uh, middle-class uh, social mores. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't really care. Uh, you know, I don't really cuss ever, but you know, if, if you, if that's how you talk, I'm not going to, you know, make a big deal out of it. And, and, and so like, they don't, they don't know how to operate in that world at all. Mm -hmm. And so they have nothing, absolutely nothing to say to these people, nothing to say at all. And, and you see it also in the reaction where a lot of these pastors, I mean, you, you I'm sure you saw this as well, where they're like, oh, they don't need they don't need job, good jobs and they don't need uh, they don't need social stability and family structure and all all the all the problems like all the problems uh, in in the Rust Belt and in Appalachia and in, in middle America. Right? They don't need they don't need to get rid of the drugs and all that. They need the gospel. <laughs> yeah, they need the gospel. And it's like. Yes, they do. OK, yeah, they of course they do. But like the gospel has implications to it as well uh, across a society. So if the gospel goes to, you know, random place in Appalachia and all, all these people get converted, mm -hmm. there's an effect on how they live their life together. Yeah. You know, there's an effect. If the gospel goes to America and Jesus, I mean, the gospel means, you know, victory, right? Announcement of victory. That's literally what the word means. And the way it's used in the New Testament is what, whatever they talk about the gospel, the apostles talk about the gospel. It means that the first thing they mention is that Jesus is up in heaven reigning at the father's right hand. That's the like the first thing they get across. He's reigning at the father's right hand. And that's good news to these people, right? You tell Oliver Anthony and the people that are listening to him that Jesus Christ is reigning at the father's right hand. And so actually he does care about the rich men north of Richmond and the things that they're doing. He really does. Like that's gospel to them. That's gospel to them that Jesus hasn't forsaken them, that he's going to deal with this. Right. That's what the gospel is. And, and these guys have not they don't say any of that because it's like, well, we're we're not supposed to be making a Christian nation. We're make, supposed to make disciples of nations. That's different. Uh, and it's 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 such nonsense. It's it's and it and it undercuts everything that is is needed today. Like they, they have absolutely zero understanding of of the way the world is today. I mean, partly, I think I mean, this is stuff, you know, maybe we talked about with John Harris is that. A lot of these guys have never had to, you know, work on long hours for you know BS pay like Anthony sings about. Right, they haven't right. had to live in this world with these True. people mm -hmm. and for twenty or thirty years. They've they've drawn a paycheck from their church and yeah. they get the paycheck because they're they're good little boys that say what they're supposed to say in order to keep getting mm -hmm. the paycheck. And the second you start saying stuff that 
resonates with people like like Oliver Anthony and and his listeners, then oh, you're a troublemaker. You want to you're you're a you're a Christian nationalist who wants to, you know, wants to install a theocracy, right? That's that's the immediately what will happen, and and then it messes things up. Yeah. Uh, and so I I just I look at it, man, and I'm like. I get so fed up and so frustrated because these guys do not get what is going on at all. Mm -hmm. And, and what we should be saying, Christians should be saying, Christian leaders should be saying is that yes, Jesus does care about this. He doesn't want your, your entire community to be overrun with fentanyl zombies, right? He doesn't want every child there to be part of this weird convoluted family tree where they have 15 half siblings because nobody knows their dad. Like that's, that's not what Jesus wants. And the gospel has answers to this stuff. And it's like, and I hate the, oh, is this a gospel issue? Is that a gospel issue? It's such a you know stupid category error that that people that these people make in order to keep them from saying anything that has any any impact. Uh, but that's my no, rant. That's I my agree. Rant like I, I mean, you know, I, I agree. Like this, I like just the other day, like uh, you know, my wife needed a, um, you know, something done in her car. Like I think her battery died. You know. And I was out there with my son, just showing him around and stuff. And just yeah. thinking, you know, I was just out there working on it, showing him this practical life skill. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't be showing them this. Maybe I should just be preaching the gospel at him. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> he doesn't need this. Like this is, no. you know, he doesn't need to know how to do these practical things. This is a, this is a, it's a sideshow. It's I like, know. this is how people live their lives though. This is how these evangel these online evangelists at these, you know, big seminaries and big churches and big evangelical circles this is literally they can't think about things other than what's going on in their ivory tower they literally yeah. don't understand the frustrations of the working class and our need to help them not merely as a response to our christianity but also a response to our natural obligations to our people yeah we have to protect them and grow them and and care for them and share their burdens like all of yeah. these themes are throughout scripture sharing their burdens these burdens precede the coming of the gospel and we should identify them uh, along a lot of different ways and a lot of different yeah. routes besides just gospel categories a gospel yeah. is you know the most important thing but if we reduce it to the only thing what happens is we lose our people we lose our natural obligations and our natural duties and our natural lines of relationship uh, and i think that's a tragedy and that's why america is the way it is because people have forgotten that yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and I mean, on that point, like this is a thing I mentioned in the article is, you know, in, in Luke chapter one, when Mary is announcing um, her her pregnancy of, of Jesus to her, her cousin Elizabeth, right, she sings the Magnificat and like the Magnificat is all right. These are the implications of of Jesus being born and the Messiah coming is right. The mighty are cast down from the thrones and the lowly are lifted up. Right. She sings that. And you you get these, you know, dunderheaded evangelical leaders who are like, oh, this gospel is just this whatever is happening inside my heart. And that's it. Uh, and it's like, that's not the way the Bible talks about it. Right. The Bible talks about the incarnation, Jesus coming. As this massive event that has these implications on everything, including wicked rulers doing evil stuff and oppressing the weak and. Right. Like you read that, it's like, how many, how many of these guys have ever preached a sermon on the Magnificat, right? Ever, uh, much less Psalm 37 or any of that, because they don't, they don't want the gospel to have an impact ac across broader society. And they don't want to have to say these things because they, it allows them this, this strange, very narrow gospel centeredness causes them to be insulated from having to care about anything else. So they could they could tweet out they don't need this we don't need political change we don't need to care about this that or the other thing we need to focus on the gospel, and it's it's it 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 betrays this such a low view and such a narrow view of what the gospel actually is, right? They don't get it. They don't get the the New Testament doesn't talk about the gospel this way at all. It talks about it as it, it sounds a lot more like Oliver Anthony's song than than the way they they describe it. Right. Because it isn't they aren't like, oh, you need this internal heart change and that's it. And like that's that's the that's the, what they say. It's like, OK, you go to you go to random town in Appalachia, you go to, you know, um, you know, Virginia outside of D.C. And you know, where Oliver Anthony's from and you go preach the gospel. And wh what happens? And it, say everybody's converted. What, what do you have to say to them? It's all right. Go be a good little boy now and don't you know try not to sin. Um, that's what you're supposed to do now. 
and just sit tight while you watch your entire country be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that, that means you don't really actually care about spiritual things. If you care about politics too much, mm-hmm. because you know, that's, that's, that's actually kind of bad. That's not very spiritual and good and, and Jesus-y. Uh, you need to be detached from everything and just not care because you've got the gospel. You know where you're going, right? You know where you're going when you die. So it doesn't matter if your country is destroyed. It doesn't matter what happens to your children. Right? None of these things really matter that much. Uh, that's that's the attitude they have. But th- of course, they don't actually believe it because they're all, I mean, to their credit, uh, pro-life and they want the murder of millions of children to end. Mm-hmm. But like, that's the only thing like they're allowed to care- to have a, a gospel implication uh, on society is no no more murdering kids but but everything else we just don't care about at all yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, the abortion too and of course they're allowed to use congressmen in, in the legal system to fight for their church to remain open right during covid you know you because that. that impacts them right yeah i mean it's really this is this is what i was saying i you know i repeat this often but like the sociological health of the nation is important too and we need to yeah. we need to care about those like that is those are that is the pro life community you know that, that that we're dunking on like yeah. oliver anthony represents that like he yeah. he is part of the lone bulwark you know yeah. what i mean he is yeah so. yeah to go back to that absolutely yeah yeah and they they they, they again they don't get it Right. They don't get it. I mean, they don't get the time of day. These are the people that decry friend enemy distinction, you know, and no enemies to the right. Cause it's like, well, you're, you're just going to allow, you're not going to say anything about the sins on the right. And it's like, no, I, I, I don't do that. You yeah. Know, I, I, I call sin, sin when it's sin. Uh, it's that I, I don't dwell on, on the sins of these people and attack them over it and try to belittle them and, and smash them into bits while they're also being attacked by all these evil people. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's the same. It's it's like you know drawing this massive concern about you know the foul language that Oliver and Anthony uses. Meanwhile, the entire global system is is arrayed against them to destroy them. And you're like, well, he used some bad language there, so we probably should steer clear of this. Yeah. And it's, it's it's so stupid, so stupid, and I I I I it it makes me um it makes me very angry that these, these people act this way because they should know better. Mm-hmm. They should know better and they don't, they absolutely don't. But uh, I mean, you also wanted to talk about, um, you know, Oliver Anthony and uh, the song and just, and, and, and from a broader, you know, I don't know, sociological perspective and historical perspective on the South, um, you know, neither of us are, are Southerners uh, as we, we mentioned earlier, you know, I'm, I'm from, uh, from, you know, the upper Midwest, you're from California. Although California, I mean, the West in general is kind of weird where there's this, especially Northern California, there's this very, um, a lot of Southerners, that's where they went after the war. Uh, right. so there's a, there's a strong uh, connection where you're from uh, to the South, uh, where, where I'm from, you know, all of my ancestors that came, I mean, and I, I always say this, it's like, um, I, I don't, uh, you know, when we talk about the civil war or the war between the States, um, my opinion is is sort of that anybody who came here after the war, like their ancestors came here after the war, shouldn't have too strong of opinions about it. Um, so all of my all of my ancestors came to America during the Franco-Prussian War, right in the 1870s. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they all came here after the Civil War. So you know if you um, if you go on the Civil War database registry of names. Of, uh, of surnames of people that fought the Civil War, you'll find exactly zero iskers in, on either side of the war because we, we weren't here yet. We weren't here yet. And so I can't, I'm not going to have this rancorous opinion in, 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 on either side because it wasn't my war. You know, we weren't Americans yet. We were still Germans. Um, so I, you know, you can ask me my opinions on the Franco-Prussian War, uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't have, I, I, I mean, I still have opinions about it because it's an historical event that matters still today to to this country that we're a part of. Um, but I, I see this all the time online. You have all of these people, especially the people that are like, uh, that post the like Sherman meme. And it's like, ah, Sherman came and destroyed the South before. Don't do it again, you stupid Southerners. And like the, the rebel tears thing, well, like people that post that. Those are all people that came in the 1920s to America. Yeah, they don't actually care. They're just trying no. to win internet points. Cause like, yeah. what they, I mean, want to know what else Sherman did? He destroyed Native American communities. He yeah. ransacked them, raped their women and children, set them yeah. on fire too. So it's like, yeah. You know that that's just internet talking points or whatever. Yeah, it's not those are serious. people are, are idiots. I mean, they they are. But I I look at it and I'm I'm like, well, I don't, I don't have 
this this massively strong opinion about it other than um i i want to understand the war as it actually is against the narrative that we're taught we're, yeah. we're taught this narrative about the war and how evil the south was and everything else and it's like well i, I don't think that's true my um, my interest my interest in the war stems from like just my interest in like sociology and social structures and um the hierarchy and tradition and all of those things too my i also have an interest in like uh, the industrial economy compared to the agrarian economy. Yes. Uh, and I, I'm a huge fan of the South. I don't have roots in the South. Uh, I have some roots in the North, um, but I, so it's not really like a, a blood war for me personally. Yeah. Um, but I do like just economically, I am a huge fan of the South, like Richard Weaver and all the mm -hmm. new Southern agrarian writers. I do like the South. I think the South yeah. was America. I think in the 18th century, like, you couldn't have in America what we think of it is the South. It is the Virginia, like there was the so-called Virginia dynasty because for like a long time in the very early 19th century, uh, you know, federal politics was basically dominated by Virginia. We are the yeah. South. Without the South, we're nothing. And yeah. so the South has a huge role to play in the making of American society. And so the idea that it's this evil civilization that is it's a good thing that it's gone is just ridiculous. And so my yeah. sympathies are with the South for that reason. I also like I'm, I'm sort of a, um, a lost cause guy. You know, I do like the German conservatives. Uh -oh. I do like Russian traditionalists yeah. and, of course, the American South. Like I just that's just part of my instinct. I, I uh, even though like culturally I've, I live in California, my natural like instinct is to rush to defend people like oliver anthony I, you know i like yeah absolutely country music like, I, I live in the west you know so my my country music is is different my country music is more like culture wall and the plainsman type country music but i like southern too i feel a yeah. connection there you know yeah, but i yeah. but i hate the rich men of, Nor of richmond just as much as he does you know yeah. i'm against the industrial economy against the money economy the financialization of the world the centralized uh you know banking cartels and all those things that he's ragging on uh i'm right there with him absolutely <laughs> Yeah, I, I I I largely share the same, you know, same view, same opinion. Especially you have, you know, in in the South you had a a hierarchical society, um, all all throughout, and it was it was you know implicit and and, and somewhat explicit, and it, it it's it, it was a you know as in, as we use the term traditional society, that's what that's what it was. It was mm -hmm. a, it was traditional in the sense that there's this this clear social strata um among people and and it was an older way of life it was a way of life built around the land um that's that that that's what it was whereas in in the north i mean and, and, and i mean the the upper midwest is is weird too uh because it it was also this way um you know it's there there are some of these you know issues regarding the west um or or just the 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 cultural matters there that that uh, it's very similar in some ways, but then you also have a lot of Yankee dumb. I mean, the, the twin cities was, was basically founded and built by, by new Englanders. Um, but the rest of the, the rest of the state was, you know, uh, German and Scandinavian immigrants that came and, and broke the land and, and turned, you know, wilderness and prairie and, and woods into, you know, the most productive agricultural land on the planet. Uh, and, and so, you know, I look back to my roots that way and it, it and, and in some ways it's very similar even though you have a, a sort of democratization in, in the upper Midwest of, of the land, um, it is, it's, it's still built around that. I mean, that's, that's where you have, you know, farmer and labor parties uh, develop in the late 19th century and early 20th century. I mean, you, you begin having some of the, the Marxist influence and so forth, but um, it was, it was, it was also a reaction to the financialization that was occurring. Um, you know, I mean, it, you have to take it in its historical context. Yeah. And so, I mean, I look at, I look at all of those things. So there, there are, there, there are these sympathies that I have to a people whose way of life is, was, was destroyed. Right. Um, that's, that's part of it. And I'm sure people listen to this, you know, Jake Medor, when he listens to this, like, but they had slaves, they had slaves. They were, they were, that's part of their way of life too. And it's like, uh, yeah, they did. And it, and that's not what we're, well, what's number we're talking about. Uh, we're not talking about, yeah, it was so great that they had slaves. Isn't that wonderful? Um, you, we look at the, when I look at the issue of slavery, I look at an issue that, um, was a built-in feature of all of humanity throughout all time yeah. is, is slavery. It was, it was taken for granted by the apostles in Jesus's time. Yeah. Uh, it was, as my pastor said on my very first 
day visiting the church, you know, years ago, he, he's like, God was not an abolitionist. I was like, oh boy, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. CJ's here now, yeah. you know, like, wow. Well, but, yeah, but no, but, but the point is, he isn't, he isn't, but yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I, the point is that, um, you know, slavery is something that was built into the mindsets of, 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 uh, of this, of our entire Western way of life. Like it's just part of what we did. And I think that there's different um, layers. I think slavery is a complicated issue. I think chattel slavery is different than like inherited hierarchy, like social, like um, classes and stuff that you just have expectations. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also think there's like, um, like in Downton Abbey, there's just obligations of the, of the master class and obligations of the, of the, um, the slaves or the insurgents. And I think it's a, it's just a different patch, like patriarchal or patrimonial society. And I think that that, that way of thinking is just so at odds with our egalitarian and individualist uh, perspectives that it's just hard for people to wrap their minds around what it was like then. Um, yeah. But as so many people have written on before Mark Knoll and others, you know, both of the sides, they thought that their own Christian idea of civilization was at stake in that war. Yeah. You know, and I think that we need to come to things a lot slower rather than coming at it from a 2023 perspective, you know, and yeah. I, I think it yeah. helps to understand and soften our, our ability to basically just be above and, and critics of history. I don't think that's a, I think it's an abuse of history. Oh, um, absolutely. Oh, and, I mean, you bring up, you bring up the abolitionists and to, and a lot of Christians today, a lot of conservative, well-meaning evangelical Christians will look at the abolitionists and, 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 and we'll think, and, and neither of us is saying, yes, yeah, slavery was good and we should have kept it. It was great. Uh, particularly chattel slavery. Um, but so we're, you know, we're in agreement on that. That's bad. And it needed to go away. But you look at the abolitionists in the, in the, uh, middle of the 19th century and these are not our friends right mm-hmm. these i mean like john brown yeah they're um, all unitarians and yeah and and, and like insane terrorist is mm-hmm. is literally what he was mm-hmm. um like people should not look at that man as a hero and many of the abolitionists not as heroes because they they're they were you know vindictive destructive people that wanted to destroy the entire framework and way of life of the south and not just say let's get rid of slavery and and because there were all sorts of proposals on how to do it, it's you harder know, than it's harder than people can even comprehend. You know, you could have you could have a system of manumission. You could have a system where where you know tax money buys you know some or all of all of them and, and allows them to progressively be made free. Because like th- things things like that, that like, like get rid of it. Like it, there were there were all yeah. it was radical. That's it's, that's the issue. It's not it's not just that it's hard because like what do the slate like what do the owners do? But it's also hard because like so I just read this biography. It's a pretty mainstream biography of, of John C. Calhoun. It's not like this, um, you know, lost cause biography or something like that. Yeah. But um, what's the guy's name? Elder or something like that. You know, something like that starts with an E. Um, but it was a decent book. But he just talks about like the dilemma that John C. Calhoun was in because it wasn't just that what are you going to do about the owners? But at the time, there were actual like anarchist revolutions in Haiti and in the yeah. third world. And so what was going on is the slaves were beginning to hear about these things and they could literally, they had the strength and numbers in some places to enact an actual revolution and take over Southern governments. So it was a political crisis too. What happens when you just let free, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and say, okay, you know, go live your own life. They're going to take you over. It's a political yeah. crisis. And these are, these are actual political decisions that have to be made that we're not comfortable making today because we don't think politically. No. But John C. Calhoun was saying, look, it's either, it's either we keep this system, which is morally questionable. He would call it morally questionable. Or we give in to everything and let them take over and then our, and our sons and daughters lose everything. And, like, and those are our options. There's no third way. There's no we come to peace. And we decide to live like individual liberal lives. You yeah. can't do that. That's not a political solution. No, no. It, it, and that, that's that's the other thing is it, like all of these discussions, all of the all of the politics of the day, the backdrop to it is Haiti, just like the, in the 20th century in understanding the 20th century. Uh, the backdrop to all of the developments in Europe in the 20th century is the Bolshevik Revolution, where where they killed, you know, 10 or 20 million people in the gulag system in these death camps and the entire world is seeing that happen and thinking, we don't want that to happen here. We got to do something mm-hmm. in the same way, right? They see Haiti happen at where they, there's a revolt in Haiti and they kill every single white person in Haiti 
Mm-hmm. And I think did they also you know kill anybody that had that was like half white, yes, um, yeah. or even a quarter white? Like anybody that had any white blood, they just killed them all. Yeah, and eradicated them. And they're thinking, all right, they have the numbers to do that here. If if that were to happen, that's not good. That's mm-hmm. not good. We can't we can't allow that either. And so it's it is a much more delicate political situation than people want to imagine. Where it's like, oh, we'll just let all the slaves go, and and they'll be happy and and live a wonderful life and we'll live together in peace and harmony and unity. And yeah, you so great. Like that's what people think, but that's so stupid. It's, it's, it's stupid, but it's hard to retrain your brain to think politically. Like, yeah. because politics is the art of making decisions in between very bad options. Yeah. That's politics is you have yeah. to make bad. There's, like when I was a libertarian, I should be like, okay, we'll just dissolve the federal government. Yeah. We'll uh, just, you know, yeah. yeah. That's not, that's not yeah. politics. That's no. whimsical dreaming. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and that, but that's what that's what people do. Like they have these idealized, um, you know, visions of of the way things should be, and say, "Well, we should do that," yeah. and and that's that that was just simply not possible in in that day, and and, and so yeah, you're right. It's this incredibly complex issue that people don't want to grapple with at at, at all, mm-hmm. and or or even begin to consider. I mean that that was you know it, I had I didn't have very many good history professors in college. Um, but I had one, I had one good one and he actually wasn't a full professor. That's probably why. And, uh, he, um, he was actually a, a jurist, a, a, a legal scholar and, uh, he had practiced law in, in both the United States and in, in the UK. And, and, and one of the things that he did, he had us do, uh, as a project was all of the, you know, uh, progressive developments in, it was a British history class. But all, one of all the progressive de- developments that took place over the 19th century, you know, uh, expanding voting and th- things of this nature, he he made us write papers about the opposition, mm-hmm. right? The people that opposed it, the people that opposed suff- women's suffrage, things like that, and to understand, okay, what were their arguments? There were there were actually people. It was just a contentious issue where a lot of people, you know, and a majority initially were against these things. Why were they against it? Because you know the modern you know, uh, Reddit brain thinks you just have this inexorable, inexorable process of history where you're adopting this progressive liberal uh, worldview. And it's just, it's going to happen no matter what it's inevitable. Uh, but he, he was trying to train us to think, okay, people were against this. Why were they against it? What were the reasons for being against it? Which you know, actually helps you understand history. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people are, you know, people, <laughs> people did not have a, most people did not do well in that assignment. Um, and uh, it's like, why were they against it? Why were they against these things? Why were they against expanding suffrage? And and you, you actually read primary source documents. You read what, what people were saying. And you, get the weird, and you get the weird feeling that they were right. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I totally did. You're like, I, uh, that's oh. exactly what happened. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, rest of development and Job, you know, I've, I've made a huge mistake. Like the entire, <laughs> yeah. the entire yeah. time I'm reading these, these things that are like, they were right. I mean, I I think that was probably the first time I read Chesterton, um, and well, things that he said against women's suffrage, and I'm like, yeah, oh, well, it's funny because oh. like, you know, it's funny because like if you read Calhoun on on slavery, um, it's a really it's a really um weird experience because like I'm against chattel slavery for sure. There's some types of slavery that I'm okay with, um, penal but- slavery, absolutely. Yeah, yeah uh, in other inherited slavery, there's certain types of them that I'm okay with, but chattel slavery. But he was talking right. about the fact. Well, let's stop there because people are going to take that out of context. We have to flesh that out a little bit. Uh, but I, 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 I agree too. Like even, even like inherited slavery in in terms of, would I rather people have well, you know, hundred k in credit card debt, right, right, or or whatever, or would right. I rather have them serve as you know, sell themselves into slavery. Right. right. Uh, well, here's which is better. Here's here's what I'm okay with. I'm okay with a system that's not liberal. That it's not it's not up to the individual to set his own course and stuff. I'm okay with a society that's stratified and there are um, duties and rights based on how you were born, things like that. I also think that like if you if you look at and this is this is this is such a hard uh, conversation to have, but if you look at a lot of the slave owners like if you read Eugene Genovese, right? Yes. He's he's yeah. a marxist, but he, he was just he was, I think he he, he was, he was yeah, a marxist. Yeah. But when he examined the dynamics between um the the slaveholders and the slaves themselves, he found that for sure there was a lot of abuse going on. Of course, um, you know, and, and people because this is how power works. 
you know, power does corrupt and it can lead to abusive situations for sure. But on the other hand, there were masters who felt like it was their God-given task to bring this individual up in a godly way, to take care of him, to provide shelter and food. Like, I get that that sounds like slave propaganda to you, but these people really did believe it. They really did believe that it was their way of, of giving back to God's creation was to help these people grow and live good, rich lives. And they, and they subsidized their families. They gave them houses and homes and they lived, they, they tried to be honorable masters. Like Paul talks about in Philemon, right? Like they, they, they talk about the fact that these in their letters, the burden that they had to be a good, godly, wholesome master. Um, and yeah. so there's certain perspectives on that. That's like, this is the system that they inherited from their fathers. This is um, Dabney's entire point yeah. in, in his book, The Defense of the South. He in, They inherited this system from their fathers. They inherited this system from their fathers. They're fourth generation slaveholders, and they have this duty to protect these people. It, 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 it's not, it's not really, um, doesn't really fit with the way our priorities and stuff. But yeah. you can kind of see that they felt like it was it was a way of honoring those around them, those who were inferior to them, and those ancestors who had come before and set up the sisters for them. These are very difficult situations. But my my point is, besides all that, I'm a, I, I I'm not opposed to all those types of scenarios personally. But my point was when you read John Calhoun's writings on the slave problem in America, he said that the dynamics were such that someday someone would come along and rile up all of these slaves and make them um, fight back against their oppressors that had come into being hundreds of years before. He predicted the civil rights movement. He had said that someday if, if we're not careful and we don't if we don't look at things politically, someone's going to come along and create revolutionaries out of the freed slaves. And he was completely right on that. That is correct analysis. It was a yeah. difficult political problem and he saw it. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, yeah, I, I agree with and you. And you don't you don't yeah. have to agree with me on on the slavery issue, but I I do have I'm I'm not entirely opposed um, to all those types of dynamics and relationships. You know, I don't, at least I'm understanding a, them. I mean, it, that, mind. Yeah, yeah, that that's 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 just it. Is like if we are able to escape the gravitational pull of liberalism, and you begin to get. I mean, I, even even if you think about, um, but think about English society. Like I was going to say, feudalism. Yeah, right. that's, yeah, that's feudalism. Yeah. In fact, that is feudalism. That's that yeah. is what the South was. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just uh, I just started watching, you know, because people were were posting about it online, and I I, I was not familiar with this show, uh, this older show uh, called like Sharps Rifles, you know, starring Sean Bean, uh, and it's about you know Napoleonic War. I watched you know the first episode last night, and uh, it uh, it's it's set in Napoleonic England. You know, Sean Bean is this this lowly commoner, son of a of a whore. And uh, he saves um, the man who would become uh, Lord Wellington from an attack of, of the French. And he's given a field commission and he's made an officer. And, you know, we don't think much about that because, you know, our we all, to become an officer in America, all you have to do is, you know, get a student loan and go to college. Right. Uh, anybody can become an officer in America. But in, in uh, British society, you had to be born into it. Mm-hmm. You had to be bo- from the upper class to be an officer. Mm-hmm. And. Um, the he becomes an officer. The whole episode centers around this lowborn man who is elevated to become an officer, and everyone resents him. Um, <clears throat> not just the other officers, but the men. The men, re- the 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 common men, resent him as well because they they know he's not one of them, and he's going to mess this all up because he's not one of them, and he's going to lead us to our deaths because he's not he's not cut out for this. Uh, right. And it, and it's such, and it, it, it just strikes at the heart of liberalism because we want to think, and and I mean, it's, it's a Bernard Cromwell book and it's, it's a modern, modern book, but it still at least conveys the way society was, was, you know, existed that, uh, there were these social stratas that were very real and you, you had to be born into this thing Mm -hmm. in order to lead Mm -hmm. and carry yourself in a particular way. And all throughout the show, he's he's this rough man who who acts just like they do, and he has to learn. No, I need to carry myself as 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 an upper class man and be a gentleman. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's fascinating, just just on that standpoint. And and we don't we we can't even conceptualize anything like that. Right? The only thing we have that's close to it is like wasps, 
right? Uh, guys like Tucker Carlson, you know, guys like, or, or even, you know, we, we brought up national review, even, um, William Buckley. Buckley, you know, like people like we, that's the only kind of nobility that we sort of used to have mm-hmm. is, is these high born people that are born into this, that are, you know, 10 generations into it. Mm-hmm. And they, they carry themselves in a particular way Right, we don't really have, have nobility like that anymore. Um, right. We don't have leadership have, like have, that anymore. We have influencers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. That, but that, but that, that's, that's, that's simply it. And so I, I yeah, look back you, to and this is, That's actually important. That's part of like the, you know, the, the old conservative critique of, of, of American pop culture, like in the 1950s that we were replacing the, like the American nobility. And instead we were going to like the celebrity class. Yeah. And, and we, that was the transformation that was happening. Uh, and I think the critics of that, um, first of all, were right. Th- yeah. Not only were they right, but the harshest critics of that system came from the South. You know, the yeah. South was very much a traditional English society. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and people understood this, like you, you, and, and it took me a long time to, to realize that even, even, you know, as I, as I pondered what it, what it meant, this national review article that, that set me off on the course that I'm on. Um, is that you know I am in in the in the scheme of society and things like this. I'm born to I, I was born to a man who was a truck driver and a, a mailman. You know I'm a, I'm a, a commoner. Mm-hmm. You know I'm not I am I'm not a, a noble. I'm not uh, born into you know um, the heights of society, and and nor should I I seek that or long for that. Um, I should I should be what I am. Yeah. And and that that just runs totally against. Our entire society, which is, you could be anything you want to be, mm-hmm. right? I remember being, you know, we're, I'm in this, I'm in, in kindergarten in a, a rural town of ten thousand, and the, these, you know, idiot teachers are telling us, any one of you could become president of the United States, and it's <laughs> like, and and I, I mean, even maybe maybe not at kindergarten, but over time, I'm like, no, no, we're not. No, we we can't. We're not going to be anything like that. We're going to, you know, all, all the people I'm graduating with are going to be construction workers. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's, what's going to happen. Or the people that go to college are going to, you know, go be salesmen or accountants. Like we are not going to become anything and everything. We're normal people and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, and so a- as I began to, you know, just ponder uh, sociology and the way that societies develop and everything else. Um, yeah. And I, I thought about feudalism and we think feudalism is so horrible. It's so awful. These serfs, they're bound to the land. They can't ever leave. And it's like, that's okay regular people can lead regular lives and not have think that their, their lives are somehow less valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's, that's fine. Um, the, the, the issue and maybe the only critique I've seen, you know, going back to Anthony's song, the only critique I've seen of it, um, that, that like I thought was really any good are, are some of the, you know, right-wing guys who are like, I don't like this. I think this is bad is, um, what it does is it, it does subvert, the sort of nobility and, and leadership uh, bubbling up, mm-hmm. right? It, 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 it's, it's a song for, for plebes, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is fine. I think it's great um, that, that, you know, the downtrodden underclass are being destroyed and, right. and for people to be aware of it. That's great. But there also needs to be, uh, especially in the small cadre of, of online right-wing people, there needs to be, um, there are great men that exist among us, right? So I'm kind of subverting everything I just said. But there are there are there are some great men that are that are born to lead. I mean, this is where I mean, where did the social strata that that became feudalism? Where did it come from? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, thousands of years earlier, you had great men who led, you know, led war bands and led led their people and, and, and rose up. That's how they became nobles mm-hmm. is they 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 transcended all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the only critique is like, well, there's there's not enough stuff you know promoting that. I'm like, okay, that's that's a fair point, but I don't, I don't think we should it should be at the expense of of this song. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, what do you? I mean, well, well, what do you think? What happens is when the when the aristocracy abandons their role, you get people like Oliver Anthony. That's what happens. Yeah. So yeah. what this is what Thomas Carlyle said about the French Revolution. Like he's not like by disposition a revolutionary. No. He's very much for the old, the ancient regime. That's kind of Thomas. But he said they abandoned their posts. They became yeah. corrupt. They sold out. And so it was up to people like Oliver Anthony to uh, to do away with them. You know, and so that's 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 what happens. There are there is a role for both because aristocracies are not perfect. We don't live in heaven. 
you know, we don't live in utopia, but it is still the function of the upper class, the, the nobility to play their role. And it is the role of those in the lower classes to play their role. And when one abandons the other, um, you know, there's revolt, revolution, and there's, yeah. you know, conspiracy against the other classes. And this is one of the, this is one of the points that, um, so there was a, a conservative writer named Ortega E. Gasset, and he wrote a book called The Revolt of the Masses. I think that's what it calls it. Yeah, um, and he just talks about the fact that, you know, that all across the world, the masses are revolting against their old, the things that kept them down for, for, you know, for so long. And then Christopher Lash responded to that book with his own book, um, uh, Revolt of the Elite or something like that. Um, and yeah. he just talks about the fact that actually it's the elite that have abandoned their roles and left the, you know, the commoners out to dry. And so that's what we're seeing, I think, with Oliver Anthony is these commoners are left out to dry and they're expressing their frustration with the fact that they have no guidance. They have no yeah. leaders. All their leaders, all the rulers, all the people in charge that have power have abandoned them and yeah. they've sold out to material uh, interests. So yeah. they, they, they all they have is they, they summoned a, a, a vulgar tribune uh, mm -hmm. from from New York City uh, to lead them. I mean, that's yeah. that that's the frame that people need to understand Trump in mm -hmm. is everyone else has abandoned their interests mm -hmm. and here's one guy speaking to it who's kind of sort of part of you know what we would call a, a noble class and is speaking to what they care about and defending them right yeah. that's that's why that's even why if it's accidental it. even if it, even yeah. if his things are just accidental and, and it's promotional and everything else yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah so. And, and and so that when i talk about like people talk about the you know the presidential election and things like this, it's like, well, why don't you, why don't you like, you know, DeSantis and, and, and all of that? It's well, because I do like him, uh, but it, it's because he hasn't signaled to these people mm -hmm. that he's on their side in this way. Right. He, he hasn't signaled to them that, you know, these people have gotten a, a rotten deal. And he can't, com he, he can't even communicate that. It's, it's the, the frame that he talks in is still this Reaganite, Oh, low taxes, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's not our country is being destroyed by these evil people in Washington, D.C., and I'm going to stop it. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's how Trump talks. And and nobody else talks that way. I mean, the only one that even comes a little bit close is some some Indian guy, uh, you know, some tech Indian. guy. Like, that's it. You know, and so it's like it, it, I, I think, you know, understanding these things, understanding, um, yeah, this revolt of the masses. Um, as as you put it, it's 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 right that they're the, the the natural leaders of our society have abandoned them. I mean, I, even even in like religious terms, um, mm -hmm. the the mainline churches is is where uh, the culture was, you know, really, really cemented. And and that was the cultural bulwark, you know, all the, the Episcopal Church and Methodist Church and so forth. And they went liberal and they 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 completely apostatized. And now there's nothing left. Right. And other than it's very democratized evangelicalism that everybody who believed the Bible fled to. Um, and, and it's the sim exact same situation. Right. Um, that we see, you know, in the larger, you know, socioeconomic sphere. Um, so I think, you know, I, we could go on about this for another few hours, but I know we're running out of time. Um, maybe yeah. maybe next time, maybe next time we'll talk about it more. Maybe next time CJ will, um, you know, elaborate because we'll probably get, you know, uh, all of our enemies will see CJ talking about slavery and, and oh, he's a slavery apologist. He thinks it was great when it's like, no, that's not, not yeah. at all what we're saying. It's that, that history is much more complex than mm -hmm. anyone will ever, ever admit in our day, especially the, the, the weakest and foulest people who will just glom on to the mainstream narrative, which is all lies. Um, and, and so if you want to understand it, you have to, you have to go places that, that are, are, you know, somewhat dangerous to say out loud. Um, and, and you have to, you, you have to think difficult thoughts and think, think, you know, wade through much more difficult issues than they present themselves in, in this very pristine, Oh, it's so easy way. Uh, so we'll probably talk about that again in the future. Cause I think that's that, that, uh, bears, um, it, it, it deserves much more elaboration, but, um, I think that's, we're almost out of time here. What, um, what have you, what have you written out? You, you mentioned last week that you are, you're freed to write and think and do things again. So what, uh, 
What have you been doing? What are you? What should we be looking for here, CJ? Well, I've been tweeting a lot, um, <laughs> yeah, and, I know. I know. and I and I have my paleo conservative reading list um, that I that I uh, teased out, and it's finally just about done. So it should be published this weekend, and that's what I've been working on is that big reading list because uh, nice resource guide for paleo conservatism. What was it? Um, who are the major people, and why you should know about it? So good reading list should be up this weekend. Uh, excellent. Well, I, yeah, I have uh, the article for Gab News that I that I mentioned. There's a few more also in the hopper that I'm trying to get out. And the book, the book, uh, you know, August 22nd is what I said. I think that's still going to be the date. I'd like to, We, I, you'll have to forgive me if we have to push it back. You know, please forgive me if we do. I'll let you know. Because uh, we're waiting on a, 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 like one last thing because we wanted to be perfect this time. The first time we rolled out a book, did it with Amazon. There are all sorts of glitches and problems that we had. Um, with the typesetting and things of that nature. And so we want everything to be 100% perfect off the bat. And that takes time, uh, especially when it's, you know, we have a smaller operation. So tentatively, August 22nd is is the date. But uh, if we push it back a week, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I will, uh, I'll have CJ send you all Greco gum and uh, <laughs> as penance. But uh, yeah, be, be on the lookout for that. That the book is going to be great. We'll probably have to do a whole show on the book because CJ CJ's read it, I'm sure already, and thinks it's awesome. Uh, yeah, he, he hasn't read it at all yet. He's he, <laughs> that's, he would have more to say than that. But uh, no, it, it's um, it, it it you you all will love it, and it's definitely worth the wait. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all the time we have. No time for we're all gonna make it. Uh, no time for him. He's not able to join us today. Maybe maybe someday soon. Uh, but for all of us here, for CJ and me, thank you so much for listening. Uh, stay dangerous, and we will see you next time.